Today we're going to get back into our series called I'm a Church Member. And if you haven't yet picked up your copy of the book on the back table, there's one of these for every family in the back. So make sure you pick up a copy of this. We're on the, the fifth of five weeks with that. So if that is free for all of you to take with you. If you have not gotten yours, take it, mark it up, read it. There's some great information there. And just to remind us what our responsibilities are as church attenders. If this is the church where God has called you to come and plug in to become a part of, what does that mean? What, is, what are God's expectations on you? And what are God's expectations on me? So today we're looking at number five. We're talking about leading. I know you can't really see that real well. We're talking about leading our families. First week we talked about getting engaged, becoming an active part, not just becoming a pucer, but finding out what, where can I get engaged? Where can I get involved in our church? What aspect can I get and plug in and get involved in? in people's lives or in a community, what's going on, whether it's a greeting ministry, whether it's teaching a class, whether it's in landscaping, whether it's in maintenance, whether it's helping the guy dig his ditch out there. Whatever, whatever your purpose may be. Maybe it's worth being up here on the platform, playing drums. Maybe it's up here become, taking a part in one of our, on one of, as one of our singings. One of the singers, not singings. One of our singers. Maybe it's helping out with the missions programs coming up here in the next couple of weeks as well. Taking them, one of the missionaries out to eat. Hearing their stories. Learning. And saying, God, how, do you, how can this information impact me? There's a lot of ways we can get involved. Secondly, we talked about unifying, being a unifying member. To not to doing all we can to be unified in the body of Christ. And next we talked about being selfless and not letting our preferences drive what we do and say here at the church. And, and Rod brought that up this morning. He's, he said, this church, when we come to church, it's about God. It's not about me. We come to church in the morning not to lift myself up and to make me have a good, fuzzy feeling, but to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. And not everything is going to be done according to the way you want it to be done. Not everything is going to be done a way I want it to be done. We do it to lift up the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the last, we talk about praying for your leadership. Me as your pastor and your deacons and our families specifically. Lifting us up on a regular basis because Satan wants to destroy us. And today we're talking about leading our families. Leading our families in loving our church. What does that mean to lead our families? If you look back, we're not going to turn there, but in the, in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 3, what did God, actually before Genesis chapter 3, what did God create on day 6? I almost said day 7. He rested on day 7. What did God create on day 7? Anybody? Man? No, that's day 7. Did I say 7 again? Day 6. I'm sorry. Day 6. Kirsten's up here going, 6, 6, 6. Day six, what did God create? Man. Man and animals. And he created all these beings, all these land creatures. He looked at Adam and he said what? It's not good for Adam to be alone. So he created Eve. The first family. Before there were kids, before there were grandkids, there was Adam and Eve, the first family family. 
you're here in this room, and this has been kind of a pet peeve of ours all these years. I'm going to start my family. We're going to, after you get married, you wait a couple years, then you're going to start your family, right? A lot of people say that. God created Adam and Eve. They were the first family. Before there were ever kids, before there were ever grandkids, before there were ever great-grandkids, there was a family. After their kids all left the home, there was still Adam and Eve. They were still a family, even after all the kids left. My parents are now rejoicing because all their kids have left, and they go, woo there's now grandkids, and soon maybe, maybe great-grandkids. Who knows, at some point in the near future. They're rejoicing, but they, my mom and dad are still a family. And God works in and through that family unit to get the message of his love and his grace out to the rest of the world. It was their job, Adam and Eve, it was their job to teach their kids about what God had done. It was their job to pass on their faith to Cain and Abel and the others that they had along with them. It was, that was their job. It's one of their primary purposes as, of mom and dad is to pass on our faith to our kids and to lead them in worship and to bring them along with us. Rod talked about this morning that when he was little, his parents drug him to church. And he didn't understand it at first. He went to church and he sat there and he maybe he had fun in his, in his Sunday school class and he had fun in youth group, but he didn't fully understand why mom and dad were dragging him to church. I didn't understand it. My mom and dad made me go to Awanas. They made me memorize my verses. They made me, I had fun in Awanas, running the circle and playing all the games, but they made me go. And it wasn't until later that I began to understand why that was so important as their faith began to be passed on to me. So as we look this morning, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. The end of Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in chapter 6. We're talking about this idea of bringing our family together and worshiping together as family so that we can teach and pass on a love for his church to our kids and to our grandkids and to our great-grandkids, and on and on. It goes into our society and culture. Ephesians chapter 5 this morning, verse 22 and following. We're going to read through this passage here. Verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, and, the, and as Christ is head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Back rubs, all this stuff goes with that. I'm just saying, just saying in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor. You see this? It's, it's not just about... We like to, men, we like to harp on our wives. Wives submit to the husband as to the church. You got to submit, you got to submit, you got to submit, right? Who has more responsibility here, guys? We're to love our wives as Christ loved the church and did what? And gave himself for her. Gave everything that he had for her. I mean, your wife has a need, we're to meet it. Okay, guys, I know that's hard. You don't want to hear it. You want to sit around saying, yes, wife, give me back rubs. But no, our job as men is to give ourselves for our wives with Christ as our example. Verse 26, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor 
without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one who ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church. Since we are members of this body, for this reason a man will leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound. But I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. We're going to get on to verse 6 in a second. Chapter 6, rather, in just a second. Look at this, this, this picture of Christ's love. The church, this picture of husband and wife together. This is a picture of Christ and his church. As much as Christ loves the church, we as the church of God, as the church of Jesus Christ, as the body of Christ, all these terms are synonymous, we are to submit to the authority of Christ in our lives. We fulfill the mission of Christ as the church, as the body of Christ. Just as our wives submit to us as husbands, as leaders of our homes, men, it's on our, our shoulders to lead our families. It's on our shoulders to love our families. It's on our shoulders to lead our families well. As Christ loved the church, as Christ gave himself for the church, as Christ gave it all for us, the body of Christ. Huge responsibility on our shoulders. The submission there, it's not about thumb on the person and grinding them into the dust and saying, do this, do that. Your wife is not a slave. Our wives are partners. Christ does what he does in this world. Christ is reaching this world, how? Through his church. Christ is reaching this world through the body of Christ. Christ is using us to reach the world and get this message of hope, of salvation, of his resurrection to the world. It's a partnership together, not a domineering fist down, do this or else. It's a partnership together. Just like in your home, you work together in partnership. Because if you don't, it doesn't work well, does it? Chapter 6. My favorite verse. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. No amens from the other, family, the other parents there. Huh? Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, and so that it may go well with you and that you may have long life in the land. Kids, you hear that? And then my kids' favorite verse. Verse 4. Fathers, do not stir up anger in your children. And bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That verse gets quoted to me often. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Yes, I know that verse. See, as a family, this is the picture of Christ in the world. How Christ works together in the world. And Satan wants to destroy it. If you look in the media... You look in culture, you look at the books and the movies and the TV shows and all the media saturation in Hollywood. Satan is trying his hardest to destroy the family, to destroy that picture of what God has done, of what God is doing in and through us. 
It's so vital that we learn to worship together, that we bring our kids, we bring our grandkids together and teach them to love His church, to get involved in His church. Not just for the sake of coming to a building, not just for the sake of coming to four walls and coming and singing a few songs and giving a tip to God every once in a while and saying, yeah, I go, I go there. But no, it's to come and learn and become a part because this is where we come and we give honor and worship to our God who deserves it above all else. God gave himself for us. He died for us. Good Friday's coming up in a couple weeks, a few weeks. The Friday that Jesus died on the cross for you as a sacrifice. Three days later, he rose up from the dead of his own power. He didn't just pass out on the cross. He wasn't just taken down and he didn't just faint. His side was pierced. Blood and water came out, symbolizing, showing us that his heart had been pierced, that, uh, that pericardium sac that surrounds the heart had been pierced and blood and water flowed out. He was dead. Zero pulse. Friday night I went to CrossFit and I was working out, came home and checked my pulse before I left. And it's like 100, 120, 150, 200. Yeah, that was not good. Jesus' pulse, zero. It's up to us to pass on that message and to teach one another the good news of the Word of God. So how do we do that? How then do we pass on and why do we pass on that information to one another? Let's look at just a few things together this morning. How do we do that? First of all, you lead your family in praying together for your church. You pray for the ministries of your church. You pray for what's going on in this church. Do we ever pray? Do you ever lead your family in prayer together? Men? I'm just as guilty as the rest of us. I get busy. I get tired. Do we lead our families in worship at home? Do we lead our families in prayer together at home? Not just at the meal table. God is great. God is good. Let's thank him for our food by his hands. We all are faith. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Amen. As a kid, I used to try to get through that as fast as I could because I wanted to eat. Beyond the dinner table, do we lead our families in prayer? Do we lead our families in worship? And do we pray for the ministry of his church, Big C, and what he's doing around the world? We're getting ready to have the missions conference here in a couple weeks, and we're going to hear some great stories of what God has been doing around the world in people's lives. We're going to hear from the Sterlings what he's been doing through them in China. We're going to hear from, what, from them what he's been doing through them in North Korea. Hopefully we're going to hear from Richard Connorup as well. I've been in touch with him and he's here in town. I said, come, you got to share what God's doing through you in Kenya. We want to hear stories so we can rejoice together what God is doing in his big C church. So we as a little C church can get involved in what God is doing around the world and rejoice together because people's lives are being changed. Do we pray together? Do we pray for the leadership of the church? We talked about this last week a little bit. Praying for your pastor, for your deacons and our families. Praying that God will protect them. Praying for the spiritual protection. Praying for the, our protection from moral failure. How many pastors have we heard about over the past decade and a half? Or two decades or three decades? 
I mean, since I was in high school, I've been hearing about this pastor failed, 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 this pastor failed. Ministry is closing up because, not because of big sins all of a sudden, but it led from little tiny sins in his life and not getting those under control. Praying for the spiritual protection. Praying for your leadership and pray for, as we preach the word, praying for our families, praying for, that we can be encouraged by what goes on. Praying for a physical strength and mental strength. We talked about no, no comments from the peanut gallery. Praying for our courage as we face, Satan wants to discourage and distract. Praying for our discernment and praying for our wisdom. What was it that Solomon prayed for? When God asked him, said, I'll give you anything in the world. What would you like? And he said, God, I need your wisdom. I need your wisdom. I can't lead these people. These stiff-necked people. No, he said, I can't lead these people. I'm too young. I don't have the wisdom and the knowledge to be able to do this. God, I need your wisdom. I need your wisdom as well. Your deacons need prayer for wisdom as well. See, as a church member, and this is to me as well, I need to lead my family in praying for our church. If we really, really, really believe that prayer works, it's not just words coming out of our mouths. If we really, really, really believe that prayer works, we lead our families in prayer. A prayerless life is a powerless life. That's been said. I don't remember who said it, but I remember it often. Especially when I go without the adequate amount of prayer in my own life. God reminds me, you want to know why you're struggling? You want to, want to, want, you want to know why you're frustrated? You want to know why you don't have wisdom? Because you don't have holes in your jeans. You don't spend enough time on your knees in prayer. So we need to lead our families in praying together for the church. Secondly, lead them together in worshiping together as a family. One of the things that we love to do as a family is just worship together. Regina and I and our girls, we would get together overseas and we would just pray and we would sing. We love just worshiping and singing together. We have music going in our house. It's not just to have music going in the background so we can't hear the dog whining, which she does a lot. It's so that we can be worshiping together, singing those songs together as we go throughout our day. Those songs are constantly being are reminding us of God's love in our lives. As we come together and we worship together and sing together, and pray together. We are worshiping together. We come together at church and we sit together. Well, I'm up here and they're down there. You sit and you worship together. You lead your family in worship. See, as a church member, I must encourage and lead my entire family to worship together and be involved in the mission of the church. Our family is our very first mission field. We're, yes, we're talking about missions this month, we got the missionaries coming. And we're talking about what God is doing overseas. But that person sitting next to you is your first mission field. The young person living in your home who's not yet providing for themselves is your mission field. That grandchild coming into your home is your mission field. That great-grandchild is your mission field. We are to pass on our faith and our values that are grounded in God's word to the next and subsequent generations. 
That is a mission field. 1 Corinthians 7.14 says, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. The unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean as it is. You are holy. Paul's encouraging the church there in Corinth. You got saved. Maybe your wife is not. Wife, you get saved, but maybe your husband is not. You stick with them. They are your ministry. They are, you are to pray for them. You're to become a part of them. You're to bless them. They are your primary mission field. I pray for my kids all the time. That God will strengthen them. That God would encourage them. That they would take the faith as they've been. They're doing it by rote as young children. They come to church because we said, come. You're you're just going to come. As they get older, and now they're able to make their own decisions and talk back and express their desires to go or not go. As they're adulting now, I have three in college, or three college age, rather. One's gone, two still living home in college. They can now make their own choices. Do I really want to go? Do I not want to go? Why are you living in my house? You're going. The same. But they can literally make their own choices. I can get up, they can get up in the morning and read or not read. They can choose what music they want to listen to. They can choose what they watch on Netflix. It is up to them. I'm not going to be looking over their shoulder and going, is that honoring to God? They're adults. Hopefully that the faith that we've raised them with can be passed, is now passed on enough that they're making wise choices. And we're teaching, we've taught them to worship together or through the years, to make those wise choices together. At some point, they have to step out and become adults on their own. Lastly, we teach our family to fall deeply, deeply in love with the bride of Christ. Why deeply? Why not just come and give it a cursory glance? Why is that important? What's the institution that God uses, that God is using around the world to get his gospel out, to get the message of the good news of his resurrection out? It's the church. And the bride of Christ in the church. We teach our kids to love you guys. As weird as all of y'all are, we teach our kids to love you. Hopefully you teach your kids to love everybody else in this room as well. Do we have quirks? Yes. Some of us more than others. But we teach our kids, we teach, we look at, I look at you guys and say, beyond the quirks, that is someone that God loves. That is someone that God wants to do a great work in their lives. I look beyond the quirks, I look beyond the things that bug me sometimes. I look beyond all those little idiosyncrasies or idiotsyncrasies as we sometimes call them. And we teach our kids, you love those people, you pray for those people because this is the institution that God is using in this community right here to reach this community. You know, in Acts chapter 1, 1 verse 8, he says, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. This is our Jerusalem, people. This is where God has called us. The Signal Creek, Cottonwood Lakes Boulevard area. This is where God has led our church to minister to these people that are around here. 
Will you pray for them, be involved in their lives, get engaged in their lives? And you pray. Learn to love people who are different from us. We learn to love people who are different from us. It's tough from sometimes, I know. What's our first purpose as believers? To love who? To love God, right? To love Him with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. How can we love God fully if we're not willing to love His creation and those He's brought to us? How can we truly say, God, I love you with all that I am if I'm unwilling to love the people He's given to us to minister to. Our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. This is our Jerusalem people. And we as the church of God, we as God's representatives here in this community, this is who we're supposed to reach. We teach our kids to love and not merely say, that I like my church, because that's a social media Christian, right? How easy is it on Facebook or Twitter or some of these other social media sites? Like, 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 and yet not truly get engaged. You just pass through. Your newsfeed comes up and you're like, yep, 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 yep. And you just go through it and you want to make your you want to make your friends feel good, so you like all their posts, right? And try to see how many likes you can get on Instagram, how many likes you can get from, whoa, I got 45 likes in three minutes from that video I posted. That picture of me doing something idiot, idiotic and stupid. 145 people like that. Woohoo! But God wants you to not just like each other, He wants you to love each other. That means looking beyond the idiosyncrasies and the quirks that we all come to this relationship with. It means not just, not just coming and saying, I've done my serving, I've come and done my job, and that's all I'm going to do, but finding a way to get engaged in people's lives. Because you got the social media person, social media tender, or you got the Martha person. I serve, I serve, I serve, I serve. And they're always serving and never learning. They're always serving and never getting engaged. They're always serving and never being involved in people's lives. Instead, the biblical attitude was the one that Christ showed us in Romans 5.8. He said, But God showed his love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, he gave it all. You're tired? Give more. You're frustrated with somebody? you go over and you give them a hug and you love on them anyway. That person drives you bonkers, you love on them. Because this is our example. Christ is our example of how to reach, how to treat each other. Christ gave himself for us. The Bible says, while we were still in our sins, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 2,000 years ago, I was not around. 
I know it's tough for some of y'all to believe that. My kids are like, really, God? You weren't around with the dinosaurs, right? Jesus died before I was ever even a thought. Jesus died before my dad and grandfather and great-great-grandfather and great-great-great-grandfather and great-great-great-great, all, all the way back. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for you. When you were still in your sins... In other words, he didn't expect you to become a good person, to get your life fixed before you came to him. He says, you come to me all messy, it's all right. You come to me with your issues and your problems, it's all right. You come to me just as you are. Jesus says, I love you, period. And I died for you. This morning in Bible study, Rod was talking about the Ten lepers that Jesus healed. Did he ask them to get their lives straight before he healed them? They said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He said, okay, go show yourselves to the, to the priests. And as they were on their way, they were healed. He didn't ask them to change. He said, go and obey. And as they went, that obedience and that faith changed them. One came back. His call to each and every one of us, he says, I love you so much. I looked down through history and I saw you. And I died for you. He doesn't ask us to change ahead of time. The change takes place later. The change takes place over a lifetime of getting into God's word, over a lifetime of spending time on your knees, over a lifetime of learning about each other's quirks and you love each other anyway of coming to church and you worship and you lift up the name of Jesus and say, God, I love you. I don't fully understand you, but I love you anyway because of what you have done in my life. And I'm learning every single day to love you more and more and more. His call to each and every one of us this morning is come. To come. Become a part of what he wants to do in your life. You can see pledge number five there in your notes. I'm not going to read it this morning. I encourage you to think through that. But the real question I'm going to ask you this morning is, where are you in relation to Jesus? Where are you in your relationship with Jesus? Let me go back to the other one, one slide back. There you go. Where are you in your relationship with Jesus? That's the question this morning. He died for you. We're going to celebrate that in a few weeks. What does that really mean that Jesus died for you? He hung there on the cross for you. So what? So did a lot of other people. They died. They got their blood dripped down. Why is he so special? See, because God knew you couldn't die yourself. You couldn't do enough good. You couldn't become a sacrifice yourself. So he did it for you. He died for us. So that we would not have to undergo the pain and the suffering. He did it for us. Because he loved you. Loves you. Period. Have you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute? As we think about this last verse... God shows his love for us and that while we are still in our sins, 
He died for us. What does that mean to you? What does that truly mean? It means you can come to God this morning without having to change a thing. Say, God, you come, I come just as I am, without one plea. God, I come just as I am, all messed up, broken, because I know you love me. God, I come just as I am. Maybe this morning there's some in this room that would say, Pastor, I, I, I don't fully understand all that God did for me. I don't understand all fully what Jesus did on the cross for me, but I know that I'm not the person that God wants me to be. I, 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 my life is mess. I am in my sins, stuck in my sins, and I know that if I were to die today, I would not go to heaven. And I want to get that settled today. I want to pray for you this morning. Would you just lift up your hand so I can pray for you? Pastor, that's me. I need to get my sins taken care of this morning. Thank you. Thank you. I want to have my life clean this morning so that when if I leave here, if something were to happen, I know I would die and go to heaven. Maybe you're in another category. Maybe you'd say, Pastor, I'm already a believer. I already understand that Jesus died for me. I understand that my sins are gone. They've been thrown away as far as the east is from the west, but I struggle with some of the people here in this church. I struggle with the quirks and the idiosyncrasies that are all around me. And I need to learn to love my church because this is where God has brought me. And this is where I'm plugged in and ministering. And you'd say, Pastor, pray for me as I learn to love my church. Say a show of hands. Pastor, pray for me as I learn to love my church even better. Thank you. Thank you.